All right. How's everyone doing? Okay, so far? Thanks for hanging in for the long haul, you guys. This is good. Um, all right, well, I thought I would close out, um, of course, we'll do the Q&A, but I would do my last session as, <laughs> I, I titled this talk, Is There a Purpose for My Singleness? Because I think sometimes it's easy for us to think like, no, there's not, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> so maybe we could just end there. Um, but no, I mean, I've shared a fair amount of my, of my story with you, and um, I remember... It's been weird for me because, like I said, I now crossed over the the 40 marker. And um, I remember it was probably like several years ago, obviously, because I think I was in my mid to late 30s. And I spoke at Focus to a group of college students. And, you know, whenever I speak, there's kind of like the people that ask questions during Q&As, and then there's like the line of people that form afterwards because they didn't want to ask their question. Yeah. (laughs) So there was a little group standing around me. And um, one girl said, you know, Lisa, um, I just had a question for you. And actually, it's more for my aunt. Um, She's single and she's 51, so about your age. And I was like, come on now. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hello, mid-30s is not my 51. But it was so cute because afterwards, like one of the college students came up and was like, Lisa... I know, I'm so sorry. I want to apologize on behalf of her because, you know, when you're in college, it doesn't matter if you're 30, 40, 50, just everyone seems old. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess I'll, I guess I'll be encouraged by that. Maybe it didn't, didn't matter. Um, I had another guy, I spoke at Indiana Wesleyan a couple of years ago, and I was doing lunch with a group of students. And he, no joke, in the middle of lunch, he's like, Lisa, tell us what it was like to go to college when there was no technology. I'm like, when, how old do you think I am? Like I, like I sat there with my abacus and I was just like, hmm. um, Anyway, so being, being single, you do feel a lot of nutty, nutty comments. Um, in fact, even, even my sister, as I was telling my table at lunch, um, my sisters just tick me off, okay? Um, they are, I actually have one single sister um, just because she's like, I will never get married, I don't want to. So she's cool. Uh, so they don't bug her. But me, um, they think that I'm not trying hard enough. So if I only tried harder, if I only went online a little more often, if I only, like I have one sister that once in a while will email me, Lauren at church just came home with a great guy that she met online. If you don't go online, I'm going to fill out a profile for you this weekend and set it up and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, oh, now you're threatening me? Like what? I mean, so just nuttiness. And um, we all know that there's this idea, um, you know, if if you're single and have been single more than seven minutes, uh, you've probably heard this. And it's the whole idea of like this single, what I call singles at the kids table, like you haven't fully arrived, you haven't matured if you're single, um, you know, you, you aren't grown up. Um, and one of my sisters, a few of us, and I was probably, this was also like in my 30s, I would say, a few of my friends and I were going out to do some kind of a service project, I think with church or something. And I was telling my sister this on the phone and she had long been married. And she's like, oh, it is so great that you get to do things with your youth group. Um, and I'm like, uh, we are in our 30s. This is not a youth group. Um, we're not going out for like laser tag after this. Um, but, <laughs> or a game night. 
Um, another thing I was telling my table, oh my goodness, at lunch, we had a fun time talking because um, game nights aside, my dear roommate now worked for 10 years at the Broadmoor and uh, she was going to, you know, because she's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to just be a good witness and I'm going to invite my coworkers. We're going to do a game night and I'm going to invite them to this. So she invited them and uh, one of the girls, they all kind of looked at her like they didn't know what a game night was. They looked at her quizzically and then one of them said, okay, um, maybe not that tonight, but um, Angie just got dumped. So we're all going to go to a strip club. So do you want to go with us and do, (laughs) she's like, oh, you know, like, should I be a witness? No, she didn't. She was just like, oh no. Um, But just really like funny being in that space and stuff. Um, So you have probably heard people say to you, um, you know, in admitting one of the, one of the dangers and one of the cautions in saying, putting yourself out there and saying that you desire marriage is that you're going to get a whole host of advice on the topic. Um, A lot of them are going to be platitudes. A lot of them are just going to be horrific um, advice wise. Um, And some of the ones that I have received have been, okay, well, Lisa, what you need to do is stop thinking about marriage. Because the minute you stop thinking about it, God is going to bring someone into your sphere. And he's going to show up. He's going to reward you. Um, Then I get, you know, then I get the the women at church, you know, and whether whether or not, you know, I get it a lot from women who've been divorced, understandably, but just kind of any of the women, okay? And then it's like, oh, girl, just be glad you're not in a bad marriage. I'm like, well, I am thankful I'm not in a bad marriage, okay? But it doesn't mean I wouldn't like to be in a good marriage, okay? <laughs> so it's kind of this like, let me trump your horribleness with my horribleness and talk about that. Um, or I get, uh, I think I alluded to this one earlier, that you really should probably go on another missions trip because not only do you have the time because you don't have anything else going on in your life, um, but it would take your mind off yourself and allow you to be about other people. And uh, yeah, so, um, so I've gotten a number of different things. I also get the, um, <laughs> many of you maybe have gotten this, I I was at a women's event at church and a woman asked me if I was, you know, I think she started out by saying, do you have kids? And I'm like, no, I said, I'm single, never married, no kids. And she's like, oh, she said, well, I hear you because it was 24, I was 24 before I got married. (laughs) And I was like, I can't even remember 24, okay? (laughs) Um, So, and I mentioned to you how I I had that kind of arresting uh, comment back 10 or 15 years ago about like, Lisa, I didn't think you cared about marriage. I didn't think you wanted to be married. And so I wanted to be married. And so there's a fair amount that I put on myself in this sphere. But I also think um, that we have to realize, look at our stories realistically. And one of the things I asked myself is, you know, and I've asked myself a number of times, am I called to singleness? And I don't think I am. I have never felt that I have the gift of singleness or the gift of celibate service, um, as scripture um, alludes to. I think that's actually for a very small percentage of people. So these people that are just like, let's all just celebrate our singleness, you know, for all the, all the goodness of singleness, and I'm going to get into that, I think it sets up a false dichotomy to just have this like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just be awesome. Just be, let's be the awesome single people. Let's be the, you know, because we can be awesome. We can be awesome if we're single or if we're married, whatever. Um, But I think we have to reconcile ourselves to the fact of like, what have we been delivered right now? And the fact is that today I am single. 
Um, and that is what God has asked me to live in today. And that's what I wanna do well, because I know the last thing I wanna do is look back on my life 10 years from now and see 10 years that all I did was grieve being single, being frustrated with my own story, being jealous of my friends, um, being angry at men, being angry at God. I know that I don't want that story for myself. So practically, how do I do that? Um, I think first off, you know, again, um, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about happy things here in a minute, but <laughs> um, I actually have an entire chapter in my book on grieving singleness. I think it is absolutely legitimate to grieve your singleness, especially if it is something that you did not expect or you have moved into a season where you feel like you have been forgotten or left behind. Um, you know, if you're 20, you may not be there. You may be like, you know, hi, I got all the time in the world. But for those of us that have, you know, been around the block a few times, you may feel like there are things to grieve. And I had to grieve not getting married in my 20s. I had to grieve not getting married in my 30s. I had to grieve my dad not being at my wedding. Um, I was doing a show, a nationally syndicated radio show, and the host, it was on Valentine's Day, because let's talk to single people on Valentine's Day (laughs) about how horrible that is. Um, so I was talking to him and I went through all those losses, you know, and I was just like, I've had to grieve these losses and, and realize that they are my reality. They are part of my story. And he was like, to a kid's point over here, he was like, yeah, and what about kids? Because it's not looking good for you on that front either. And I was like, let's just delve into that here in the next 10 minutes. Yes. Um, <laughs> And it was really cute. He was just a precious married guy who had a number of kids, you know, didn't even understand, but he really leaned in and listened. And I felt like he was just asking that question honestly. So I I appreciated that. But we have to grieve our losses. Um, And, you know, sometimes that could just be the things in life that have happened that you have lost. Um, Sometimes it, it actually may be that you need to name some sin that's been done against you. Um, you need to name it and you have to grieve it and you may have to work through it. You may have to address it. Um, You know, you could have inherited a bad story and you're just grieving that. You may have not been set up for success by your parents, your family of origin, whatever, or through decisions of your own. I love the fact that in the Psalms, several times the psalmist encourages us to pour out our complaint. I am very good at this, okay? (laughs) I have become an expert. But here's the difference. We are to pour out our complaint to God. We pour out our complaint to God because not only can he handle it, he actually has the power to do something about it. The last person to pour out your complaint to is the guy you want to be dating who hasn't asked you out, okay? That puts you in the crazy category. Um, Or the last person you want to complain to is your circle of friends ad nauseum. And I'm not against, you know, venting or being, you know, real or whatever, or getting some some solid counsel or encouragement. But again, God is the one who wants to step into this space and wants to hear our cries and wants to intervene on our behalf. So we need to go about doing that. Grieving is important. I mentioned that over 85% of us are gonna get married at some point in our lifetime. And that singleness as a result is not a waiting room for marriage. It doesn't matter what your timeline is, you have good things to be doing now. I remember back in the day watching an episode of Oprah, the Oprah show, um, and she had all these, the whole uh, audience was filled with single women. And it was about, you know, single women and what we do and what our lives are like and whatever. 
And she had this woman, I will never forget, I don't remember the rest of the show. Of course, at that point in my life, I didn't think I would be single for, ever, for at all. Um, I was probably like 20 something. Um, but this woman in the front row said, I, I will never forget this. She said, yeah, she said, I have lived in my apartment now for seven years and I have not put up any pictures because I'm afraid that if I put up pictures, it means that I'm reconciling myself to my story of singleness. And I don't want my life to start and have life pass me by living out as a single person. So if I just wait, if I don't put up these pictures, maybe, maybe, maybe a guy's gonna come along and I'll be able to start my story with him. And I remember just thinking how sad that so many of us live in that story and we're just waiting. We're waiting for something to happen to us. Um, the fact of the matter is, folks, that your story is unique and God can get you married anytime he wants to, okay? Um, I tell people, you know, statistically, my story doesn't look great, you know? Um, in fact, on my show, uh, this is funny, I, um, a lot of my listeners think I'm black. I think it's because of the way I talk. It's real, black listeners will find me on Facebook and be like, you're not black, what happened? Um, so I... I am so jazzed about this fact that I kind of milk it for all it's worth. Um, where was I even going with that? I just wanted to tell, I just wanted to tell you that like people think I'm black, whatever. Um, anyway, oh, I, here is where I was going. There is no more single population than a black woman who is over 40 years old. That is statistically true. So when I talk, I mean, I, I've been in groups before where I talk to like professional black women and they're just like, girl, help me out here, help me out. Because they're just very frustrated with their circumstances. Um, but the fact is God can get you married anytime he wants to and in any way. I could get mar married within the next six months to a guy I met 10 years ago. I know that that is statistically possible. It is true. God can do whatever he wants. Um, I know that I'm gonna get married in my 60s or whatever, you know, whatever. Whatever God wants to do. And I tell, you know, even though the numbers game for me does not look good, what does look good is the fact that, you know, I, I often tell people at this point, okay, yeah, what would my story look like? What, what is a good story for me? And it may take a miracle for me to get married at this point. But thank goodness God is in the business of miracles. You know what? So it doesn't matter. So I don't have to sit around wringing my hands. And he's not, he's not limited by time, space, or numbers. He's not there saying, oh my goodness. Well, I found a husband for Jane and Karen and Alicia, but Lisa, I don't know what I can do about her. No, there is, there is no one. I'm flipping through my Rolodex. There is no one. There is no one for her. Um... And it allowed me, realizing that and letting go of that, allowed me to be happy for my friends' stories. I mean, you guys, three years ago, I went through a period of a year and a half where I had 14 friends get married. I was in many of those weddings. I attended most of them. I could have easily just expired, okay? I could have imploded. Um, not only the expense, but just the frustration of like, why isn't this me? Why isn't this me? I am fully on board with people throwing themselves like women, single women showers. Okay, let's just be doing this, people. If at a certain point, I mean, we need to just run out to Bed Bath & Beyond and get this done and just admit, okay? Because um, I have put more money into my friends than I even want to care to admit. All that to say, 
God is not sitting there wringing his hands, wondering like how in his economy he's gonna make this work. Because if he gives me a husband, that means he's denying someone else a husband. And what, there aren't enough husbands to go around. (laughs) God can do, God can do what God wants to do. So what in the meantime should singleness look like? Let me put a few of the things on the table that are super obvious. And these are the things that you don't need to know about because all your married friends tell you this all the time. As a single person, you do have on average more time to yourself than married people. I did not believe this until I started caring for my mom. And now it is like I'm a parent and my mom is always there. She is not there today because a friend is watching her and because I knew I couldn't bring her here because I was going to tell so many stories about her. Um, (laughs) My mom is always there. I used to have a super fun and interesting life. I used to go out with friends at the drop of the hat. I would do dinner with people. I would go on like weekend girls, getaways, whatever. It was super awesome. And now I have my mom living with me and I'm like, oh, here's mom. Oh, she's still here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, we're doing, we're doing the bedtime routine one more time. So I sit around with new moms because they are the ones that I identify with at this point, people. I am up uh, in the middle of the night with mom. I am taking mom to a doctor's appointments. I am living life with her, trying to help her finish well. And it is a hard road. But time money. The fact is, you know, I used to, um, and, and, you know, for most of us in our single season, even though we may not have as much time or money as people, you generally have the ability to do what you want, when you want, how you want to do it. And that is a very freeing thing. It's a good thing. And it gives you a lot of opportunity to do some pretty rocking stuff. Um, it is, in fact, I remember talking to one of my guy married coworkers at work, and he talked about Um, how he was uh, single until his late 30s. And he said, Lisa, the thing I miss most is the time for self-reflection and self-improvement. He said, now I'm just expending. I mean, I can barely like get through the day. Like Saturdays, my kids are up at like 5 a.m. And I'm just like, can you please go back to bed? And, you know, by 6 a.m. I'm yelling at him. And then my wife is yelling at me. And he's like, there are so many things in my life that I need to work on right now, but I just don't have time because I'm like barely surviving. And we have the opportunity to, you know, take some time, do extended quiet times with the Lord if we want, go out, you know, take a day and just ask God what what he has for you, what's going on. You may be in a great season right now where that is allowed and that is encouraged. And I think that's a good thing. But also, this is a fabulous season for both relationships and for service. And I want to encourage all of us to not buy into the lie that we're not enough, that we don't measure up, that we're some half-baked version of, you know, completion that will only happen when we're married, um, that we're too broken, uh, that we're the school of um, misfits and all that stuff. Um, I read a book uh, recently, uh, just came out recently by Gina D'Alfonso called One by One, Singles in the Church. And um, there was one section in there that I thought was especially helpful. And she talked about just some of the lies that she'd gotten um, from church members and stuff. And one was this whole idea of legacy. Like we have so much fear around like, will I leave a legacy if I don't have kids? What if I don't have a family and those people I'm pouring into, what does that look like? And it was so fabulous because she painted this picture of like, first of all, Who do you remember? Like if you, can you even name your great-great-grandparents? I cannot. 
I don't know. I mean, there are so, our family lines are so broken and fragmented. Like we don't, this idea that posterity, like we have come from this long line of people that we're pouring into and are pouring into us, it's just not true. Most people, if you look historically, who have made an impact, it's because they have done something selfless outside of themselves that is not about them trying to preserve this legacy or preserve their own name. We have the perfect opportunity as Christians to do that because everything that we do is to be to the glory of God and to make much of him, to make him known. So we have the opportunity to pour into and to buy into that every day. Um, But yet we are in a culture that breeds isolation when it comes to relationships. Um, We, you know, self-sufficiency is very encouraged. I am 100% Scandinavian. Um, so Scandinavians, we don't like to ask help for anything. Um, you may ask for help if you have been decapitated. Um, but that's generally only because uh, your friends don't want, you know, your head rolling around on their Ikea furniture. So, um, but we're taught that, oh, we should do everything we can in our own strength, our own power, our own resources. And then either you tack on a little bit of God or tack on a little bit of relationship or a little bit of help from your Christian community. But we are called to relationship. And the sad thing is that social media allows us to set up these false versions of ourselves that are so lame. I spend so much time scrolling through news feeds and blogs And I'm like, I don't have any connection to these people. I feel like I know them because I spend so much time with them. But they are not the ones who are going to bring me to the airport, people. They are not the ones who are going to bring me chicken soup when I'm sick. And they are not the ones who are going to tell me what's what when I am moving astray in my Christian walk um, or or putting uh, undue uh, import on things that I shouldn't be doing. So, you know, even the way that we do church encourages us to drift in and out of church. You know, we, we sit in the back with our double-walled coffee mug. We take in the show. We look to see who might be interesting because maybe we'll talk to them, but we're not going to talk to anyone else. We're certainly not going to talk to a pastor because then they might remember us and ask us to do something. Um, you know, so, so it, it breeds. We, we have bred a culture of loneliness, But the fact is, it's very easy for us to say, oh, okay, well, I'm lonely because I'm single. But there are lonely, lonely people in marriages, you guys. Marriage is not the cure to loneliness. Um, One of my friends, Steve DeWitt, he's a pastor out in Indiana who got married at like 42. So talk about being a senior pastor who's single and all the crazy things he heard. Um, Bless his heart. He wrote an article, I think it was for the Gospel Coalition, um, on the difference between loneliness and aloneness. And he talked about how loneliness is actually an okay thing. Loneliness is a good construct because not only does it make us seek out relationship, but it actually draws us closer to the heart of God. You know, to to feel that sense of loneliness. And I, I say this often, you know, I say this to guys. If you're feeling lonely, it's probably a good motivator to start looking for a wife. You know, I mean, and not that she's gonna meet all your needs or whatever, but there's a, there's a reason why God has built that desire for companionship, for marriage in us. And that's okay to acknowledge that. Loneliness, you know, moves us uh, towards the heart of God. It moves us toward people. It helps us recognize that void within ourselves and that we can't self-sustain. But aloneness is a result of the fall. Aloneness is a separation that God never intended for us. He never ex- uh, intended for us to exist in our own space and to be self-sufficient and to be, um, I'm the be-all, end-all, and it's all about me, and I can do this on my own. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. Um, 
God wants us to draw closer to both himself and to others. And one great example of this is with Jesus Christ himself in scripture. Many of you have seen or heard people talk through the fact that Jesus had a number of different levels of relationship. So first off, we see in the gospels, you know, he had um, basically, you know, there was the world and then he had his 500 followers that kind of um, shape shifted a little bit, you know, some fell away, some were added to the number, some followed him, some didn't, some went in a, a smaller geographic proximity, but he had his 500 followers. But then after that, he had his 12. And those were the guys that he did life with in a very real discipleship way. I mean, they were, you know, he, he was the rabbi for them. They, they ate with him, they walked with him, they served with him, they saw him in, an, in action. And they were his posse, they were his 12. But even within that 12, he had his three. And they were kind of his best buds. And we know um, through the gospels yet again that they were given special access to things uh, that others didn't have, including a few miracles, including the transfiguration, including you know, John being able to say, I'm the one that Jesus loved, um, being a beloved, beloved disciple. And I love how all the, the disciples, even the fact that they were with Jesus all the time, they still were like squabbling for position. I just love that because that would so be me. I'd be like, Jesus, I'm gonna be a little closer. Um, <laughs> So I'm very encouraged to, to see that the disciples struggled as well. Um, he had his three, and then of course he had his one, and that was within the Trinity. Uh, with the Father, as we see evidence through prayer, um, through uh, agonizing uh, to the Father himself and to ministry, um, and of course having perfect communion within the Trinity himself, and miraculously he chose to invite us into relationship with himself, even though he had that um, in, in perfection. What is modeled by Jesus, I think should be modeled by us. Um, but we either don't know how to do real relationships or we do, but they terrify us. So we're not sure, like we don't wanna be rejected, we don't wanna reach out, and then all of a sudden you have these super needy people that are only takers. Um, so we sit there and parse it out and think that we gotta figure out some kind of algorithm to make this happen. Um, but look at what scripture says. I'm gonna read a few verses here. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So here are just three really quick benefits of real relationships that I wanna throw out for you guys. The first is freedom. Um, again, like I said, we are so in this fakey fake culture of I'll like you if you like me, but I don't want to be real, but you know, you try to be real to me, but not too real because I don't want to deal with that kind of realness. I was just so crazy making. Um, being in real relationships gives you the freedom to be yourself, to have fun, to love others unconditionally and to be loved unconditionally, to be known, to have security in the sense of like friends that have got your back. Um, and really to know how to give and receive love in a way that is biblical and healthy. I think we all need to be growing in that. And we need to all be pursuing that. Second thing it gives you is accountability. I talked about this in relation to the church. We need to have people in our lives that are spurring us on towards growth, who help us how to live out um, boundaries well, how to do that process well, to serve as our mirror 
two, give us accountability in service and forward momentum in our lives. Um, and, and just quite frankly, in relation to, um, to sin and um, the stuff in our life that is constantly trying to pull us down. Because Satan, we know, is, um, is the hugest enemy of not only uh, Christian growth and Christian effectiveness, but marriage, relationship in general. Um, he is hell-bent, no pen, pun intended, on eradicating that um, for us. And so we need to go on the offense um, in uh, fighting for these things in our own relationships. Um, and finally, another benefit of, of real relationships is just to have focus. It gives you the ability to be about something bigger than yourself. It gives you the ability to look up from yourself and say, what is my role in God's larger story? What is my role in his plan for me? What does he have for me? How can I pour into this? How can I be about his purposes? You know, you cannot, there are very few people out there that are going to change the world, but everyone is going to change a few people. You will only have a few people in your sphere consistently throughout your life. Other people are going to come and go in seasons, but every person that you touch, you will have an impact on. It may be something huge, it may be something small. But again, we always say these big things about like, let's be world changers, let's be... No, just look at the person whose face is right in front of you and tell them something about God that they need to know. Tell them something about themselves that they need to know. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that God loves them. Tell them that you wish big things for them and you are hopeful for them in their story. We have the ability to be influencers in that and it's huge. So how do you go about starting something like this? Um, the first thing I would say is to just straight up pray about it. If you, uh, first of all, assess your friendships. Who are your friends? Do you have legitimate friendships that you would say are people that know you well, you know them well, they have been given access to your life, um, they are truly um, people that you know you can count on? So assess that and pray about it. Um, one of my friends, I remember her telling me that every time she moves to a new place and goes to a new church, she just starts praying, God, who would you have to be my friend? Who should I pursue? Who should I invest time in? Who should I, um, you know, who should I consider as someone that you might have uh, me pour into and vice versa? Um, I'm going to be sharing with you here in a bit. We're going to pass out a, a book list, um, some, just some books that I think are great uh, that everyone should read. One that is not on there is one that I'm reading right now. It's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller, the best book on prayer that I've ever read. And I love how in the book he talks about that, about being very specific, about just coming to God and asking him. We are asked to be childlike. So if you think that the only way you can pray is by walking through the ACTS acronym and you cannot ask God for things until you have done a sufficient amount of adoration and confession, then you are probably not praying because you don't want to go there. Um, but I just love how God's like, just, I want to give you good gifts. I want to give you friendships. I want people in your life. I'm going to grow you alongside of them. So just start getting it done. Pray about it. Um, the second thing, and many of you probably have done this, is to just join or start a small group. It's a great way to meet people. It's a great way to find people who are kind of kindred spirits on a number of things, whether that's a specific uh, story element in your past or whether it's a ministry interest or just something that you you just feel a click, you know? You just feel like, this is someone I could really jive with, you know? And don't, you know, don't join, join those small groups where it's like, you must commit for 12 years or we cannot have you, you know? Yeah, I mean, if it, you're in it, if it doesn't work out, cool, that's fine. You know, find another, sometimes you'll latch onto some people and not others. It's all cool. 
This third one is a little awkward, but I, I'm a big believer in it. And that is to ask someone out on a friend date, okay? Um, I had uh, one of my birthday parties I hosted at the house I lived in previously, and I had a big backyard. And I had all manner of friends, married, single, whatever. And uh, one of my married friends, they had their kids. Um, well, actually, a number of my married friends had kids. So there was this gaggle of kids running around the backyard. And I was grabbing a drink, and I saw two girls. They were both about five years old, and, and one was standing there, and the other one ran across the lawn, walks up to her, tugs on her sleeve, and says, will you be my friend? And the other one looks at her and is like, yeah. And then they just run off. And I was like, oh, if only we could be that way and just walk up to people and be like, will you be my friend? And they're like, yeah, I will. But we don't do that because we think we're all mature and we have all these tactics and we have to like, you know, hold people at arm's length until we know everything about them and all this stuff. Just ask someone out on a friend date and just be like, you know what? We just, we just served, we just did this Habitat for Humanity or we just served in this volunteer group at church or whatever and I just thought you seemed really fun. Can I, I would love to get to know you more. You know, it'd be really fun. You want to hang out? You want to come over to my place? You want to do coffee? Whatever. I think we need to be doing more of that and just finding out, exploring who's out there, what God is doing in their lives, how we can get on board with it, how we can be excited for them, how we can pray for them. And then if a deeper friendship develops out of that, awesome. Be open to it. Be cool with it. Um, Serving is another great way that we can make this happen. Great relationships. Um, You know, serving and being real in Christian community, I think, is is so huge. It shows people... Um, it, it puts us in a mindset of just being out, outside of ourselves, first of all. So you are more attuned, you're more, your eyes are more trained to look at the other person and be about um, not only your own problems, um, but what God may be having you do to speak into others. I like what um, John Acuff says about the gift of going second, if any of you have, have read his stuff. Um, he talks about you know that awkward small group when no one wants to share because they're like, what if I share and it ends up being too much? And then everyone's just like, please pray for my dog. Um, <laughs> so he encourages the gift of going second. And that is where you just jump in and you just share something and you be real and you say, you know what? Here's something I'm struggling with and I would love prayer for it. Now, not in a creepy or intrusive way. Let's have some discretion, people, okay? I mean, this isn't the time to just like, you know, bring out all your felonies and stuff, but it's a great time to just be like, you know, here's where I am. Because what I have found is that there are, like, if you take the sin issues out there, like, what are there? There are really, like, about 12 categories. That is it. Yet we ask, like, we act like we are the only people in the world struggling with anything we have going on. No one else could possibly understand this because when in reality, everyone else in your small group is going through the same thing. But of course, no one knows that because no one's sharing. No one's being honest. No one's asking for help or asking for prayer. So be real and be willing to step out in that. Um, and then in uh, just uh, specifically... Um, in service, just one thing I want to say about that is, um, you know, singleness does not, um, you know, it doesn't, so many marrieds will, will try to tell you, you know, well, singleness, it seems to me like it equals selfishness. You know, this is just your time about you. I, I've had a number of, um, of parents of young adults try to encourage this in their young adult kids by saying, you know, this is your, your 20s is your time to have fun or go backpack across Europe or go do, you know, be about you, self-actualize and stuff. And, and I'm like, I never see, there's nowhere in scripture where I saw anyone backpacking across Europe. I did not, 
I didn't see, in fact, you know, I, I remember my sister's father-in-law, just a precious guy who his dad, um, his dad committed suicide when he was like 16. And at 17, he took over the family farm and he got married and raised some kids. And he would have said at the end of his life, I lived a good life and a full life. Um, there's a lot to be said for digging in and doing the hard things. Um, in my season of caregiving right now, I wrote a blog post for Boundless that I titled, My Mom is Killing Me. Um, there is some literal application to that. Um, but more so, it was a reflection on how denying yourself and picking up your cross is not only for married people or parents or people who are super saints. It is for every single one of us. We are all called to give of ourselves and extend ourselves to other people. And for me right now, that is um, with my mom. And it is a hard, hard season. It is like, like I told someone just a few weeks ago, I said, I used to be so fun and interesting. Oh my goodness. And now I'm like looking for sales prices on Depends and I'm filling pill cases and I'm just like, can anyone just talk to me about something normal? Um, And it's just a hard, hard season, but I have had the opportunity because I have had to to ask for help from my Christian community and they have stepped up. I have friends in my community, oldsters, young people, married, single, whatever, who come over for several hours at a time and sit with mom so I can go out and just sit by myself and not have to you know, watch a Hallmark movie or listen to my mom read a Max Lucado book for the hundredth time. Um, because she reads them out loud. So I've learned much from Max. I've learned a lot. But um, she reads them out loud. Um, They have provided meals. They provided gift cards. They've just stepped in and said, what else can we do? Guys from the church have come over and like fixed something around the house. We all have the opportunity to give in a way that matters. And we got to be looking for opportunities to step into people's lives. So bringing it around full circle, what about marriage here though? It's a big question. Everyone's like, okay, but what if I get so caught up in my singleness that like, I just look around and I see that marriage passed me by. Like it'll, like you'll miss it. You know, it'll be, it'll be an apparition that moved, moved past you without you noticing. Um, You know, I, I remind everyone, as I said before, that it's not over till it's over. God is in the business of making good matches. He is the biggest fan of marriage out there. You may think that you are, but you're not. Um, God is, he designed it specifically as a covenantal representation of Christ in the church. I mean, that's a big deal, you guys. Um, but in light of that, I also remember that this is not the end game. At some point, you guys, there's this thing called death. This is is again, my way of ending this on an upper. Um, (laughs) so there's this thing called death and death is a great leveler. We will not be married in heaven. There will not be marriage in heaven. I love to remind my married friends of this. Like, um, we're all going to be on the same plane, whatever. Um, But the fact is, God is using marriage now as a picture, but it is not. His plans and purposes for us are so much bigger, so much greater. The relationship that we will have with him, you know, when I tell married people this, they like freak out like, well, but will I at least know who my husband is? And I'm like, no, God will tell you that. Whatever, God will figure it out. But it's almost like, God is so big that everything he has for us and everything that he's going to do for us is going to be beyond our imagination. And you are called with your 76.5 years or whatever the national average is right now here on earth to love God, to serve him, 
to glorify him. And if those of you don't know the meaning of the word glorify, it actually means to make recognizable. So as we glorify God with our lives, with our decisions, with our attitudes, we are actually shining the light on him and saying, this is the God I serve. This is the God that I love. And this is the God in whom I have put my entire life and in whom I'm going to put all my trust. So how can we, you know, the, uh, the application of the Father, it says in Scripture, the Father glorifies the Son and vice versa. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. How am I making Jesus recognizable in my own life right now? What does that look like as I walk through life, as I wake up uh, to another day of singleness, another day of dating, another day in the workplace, another day of caregiving? What am I doing with that? Um, I want to make sure and I want to encourage you all that you are trusting a sovereign and good God. Sometimes it's easy for us to trust a sovereign God. We know that God's sovereign, that he's all powerful, that he can do whatever he wants, but we don't believe that he has good things for us. We tend to distrust his goodness or we'll trust his goodness on behalf of other people, but not on us. You know, oh, I know God's gonna accomplish this in your life. I know God has good things for you, but we're not believing it for ourselves. Um, So make those choices every day that evidence your trust in God. Um, Do it with joy, not only will you see God show up in your own life, but you're gonna be a testimony to a watching world that is desperate for something to hang on to, who wants to be part of something bigger and they don't know what that looks like in their own story. They don't know how to accomplish that. We have the opportunity to do that and to be exactly what God wants us to be in a way um, that he has scripted out for us uh, from the beginning of time. So let's go forward in that together. Thanks. transition right into Q&A time uh, just to honor as much time as we can. But I'm going to let Lisa catch your breath really quickly. Uh, I want to say just a few thank yous really quick to uh, some folks that can help put this together. So first of all, we've got some folks sitting in the back here, um, Jacob and Brian, and I don't know where Britt went. Uh, these oh, There she is. I just couldn't see you back there, Britt. Uh, this is our uh, Sunday school team from New Life Downtown that kind of helped all these conversations get started So uh, and helped kind of put some th- things together for the event. I want to thank them. Andrew Arndt and Josh Caldwell are not here, but it was Andrew and Josh who I went to and said, hey, we want to expand this beyond New Life Downtown to all the congregations. And Andrew and Josh were really quickly to step in and say, hey, yeah, let's all do this together. So I want to say a special thank you to them. And then Sarah and the Young Adult uh, Leadership Team, all of you who from New Life uh, Young Adults who helped kind of with all so many details and those things. And Sarah hosting some of today. And thank you all. Our hospitality team, Victoria and her team, uh, putting together all getting the room all set up and making sure we have coffee and water. And so all the hospitality folks, thank you. And then of course our AV tech folks who, uh, you know, working sound and computers and all of those kinds of things. And anybody I forgot, I'm so sorry, but thank you as well. Uh, So we're going to dive right into Q&A. And then um, if you need to step out before we finished up, you know, feel free um, to step out and we'll go from there. All right. You ready to go, Lisa? All right. So we're gonna, uh, we've got about 25 of them here, oh, well, so we won't okay. be able to get through all of them. Okay. If we don't get through yours, uh, I apologize. We will. And some speed of them, round. Speed, speed round. round. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so first one, uh, what is your view on singles living with parents, 
specifically for economic reasons, is it better to be, quote, quote, independent? Okay. I think it's not a huge deal. I mean, I think there are some times in a season of life where you need to be with your parents. Um, I certainly would say, especially in our economy that we have now, I see a lot of young adults moving back home, um, you know, because of career choices or just needing to be somewhere. Um, I do tell, if I were talking to the parents, though, right now, I would say to make that as much of a independence-inducing endeavor as possible. So I encourage parents to, like, you draw, you know, treat the relationship almost professionally. Like, um, draw up a contract with your folks. Be willing to pay rent, whatever you can afford. Help around the house. Don't be a freeloader. Don't be super lame. Um, Because if you are, your parents will treat you like a kid, and rightfully so. And so know that you're an adult. Know that you take responsibility for your um, your own attitudes, your own decisions, your own stuff. Um, but I would say that there's a lot to be said, too, for moving out on your own, making that transition. Even if you need to make it happen with roommates and stuff, there's a lot to be learned there, too. Awesome. We had several questions that came through kind of in the midst of, um, I think, one of the early sessions yeah. um, uh, regarding uh, the possibility of uh, men and women to be in true friendship without moving into dating relationships and just what your advice and thoughts would be on friendships between uh, men and women that are not romantic and uh, the conversations kind of around there, just your thoughts on those friendships. No, there's no way that can happen. Um, No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, I think... Yeah, exactly. I totally, obviously, I'm not going to say, no, you can't be friends with the opposite sex, but I think that there is a point where you have to realize what is my motivation and what is my end goal in friendship? Um, There is nothing wrong. If you are in church together, in groups like this together, in you're serving together, you're doing, you're about stuff, that is totally legit. And not only is that great for just building friendships, getting great perspective, it's also a great opportunity to like scope other people out and see what they're about without having to be like, you know, right up in in their face and stuff. So it's a good little, you know... Not to do it for five years, but, you know, scope people out while you can. Um, That said, where I think it gets problematic is when we develop exclusive friendships with the opposite sex, where it becomes a confidant relationship, it becomes um, very emotionally entangled, it becomes, that can be problematic, because uh, I remember on the the Boundless show one time, uh, one of the guys who was contributing, he's just a dear, dear friend, and he's now married, um, but he said, he said, well, he said, Lisa, I don't want to ask out, I've got this friend group that I hang out with. And I don't want to ask any of the girls out because I don't want to disrupt that dynamic. I don't want it to get weird if like one of us starts dating or whatever. And I'm like, why are we trying to preserve all of these friendships? Like you have got these friends groups that are just going around in a little gaggle and they're all friends. None of them are dating each other. They're all online or doing something else, but yet they're spending all their time together. And I'm like, unless you're like in college you need to be willing to like let go of these extended friend groups that like do everything together because you are limiting your time and scope of relationship. Um, you just don't have the capacity to have all these relationships and be doing all these things with these people. Um, and two, you know, uh, say, you know, ladies, you're in one of these, a guy who's legitimately interested in you is not going to want to bust into that because he's probably going to say, well, I don't want to disrupt the dynamic, whatever. Well, there you are. You just had self-fulfilling prophecy. So... You know, it's like we need to just not be so into 
preserving all these friends group. Do it well, hang out with your girls. I actually had to break up from a friends group. Um, my friend, my, a couple of my girlfriends and I did because we knew these guys had no interest in dating us, but they thought we were super fun and they just wanted to hang out and whatever. And we're like, we want to be about other things. So we need to, yeah, cut the cord. I'm going to move around to the other side because I realize I'm blocking the view for half the people oh, okay. uh, over here in the room. Okay. So I'm going to move over here. Next one um, is a question just kind of about life struggles in the midst of these things. So if a person has a struggle or addiction and is willing and wanting to deal with it, how do we know whether or not to pursue a dating relationship knowing the struggle is possibly going to be an ongoing lifelong kind of struggle? Yeah. Yeah, that's legit. And that, I mean, that will be the case for many people. Um, And I would use examples, you know, of... um, you know, it could be anything from reconciling your past, um, a history of divorce in your family or abuse in your family. It could be some kind of addiction. Um, I would say the best thing to do here is to get many counselors. So, um, for example, a person who you are probably not equipped enough to know if you are far enough out of a porn addiction, for example, to know if you can healthily really enter a dating relationship that's going to move towards marriage. If you bring a pastor into the mix, some other people who know you, some people who can give you some objective eyes on that to say, yeah, no, we've seen growth here. We feel like we know we're going to be in the sphere. We're going to come alongside you. I mean, we will all struggle with strongholds, with besetting sins throughout all of our lives. But if you have hard, um, serious work to do on an area of your life, you need to be freed up in your time, capacity, headspace, heart space to address that without bringing another person into the mix. Because um, it will just be, I mean, that's just a growth issue, I think, that um, you, you've got to give focused time um, with the Lord and with others uh, in order to address that first.